0: A little later this month, I'll experience a birthday. I'm not sure if 53 qualifies me still to be in my early 50s, or has that officially moved me to my middle 50s, but I'm grabbing on to early 50s. And, you know, you know how that goes, though. When you have a birthday, you usually have a well physical, you know. That's when you go into the doctor, and you don't feel sick, but when you leave, you feel like everything's the matter with you, right? You've been there, especially as you get older. You know, you walk in, you feel good, and then it's like... You know, you've got to watch your stress, you can't eat, exercise, you know, so it just goes on and on, right? Well, as we start 2014, I think it'd be great for us just to have a little checkup, right? For us, uh, I think often we we can sense that something's not real quite right in our lives spiritually, but we don't know exactly why. And I think there are some major systems that we could take a chance to look at, and, and I want to do that as we begin 2014 and um course I'll be gone next week with my son's wedding but we'll pick back up for the last couple of weeks of January along the same theme and you know I I, the the question I want us to start with today is can God trust us now we spent all of January I mean all of December leading up to Christmas discovering why we can trust God and why we can put our lives in God's hands because God is faithful and he's wise and he's sovereign and he's loving you know We saw all of those reasons. But it's a fair question to ask, can God trust us? And what's interesting is that how do you measure that? How can you measure our trustworthiness in the eyes of God? And is there such a measure? Well, I think to a large extent there is. There is a measurement that we can use, the way by which we can tell if God can trust us. It has to do with an area of our lives that we might call the the issue of stewardship. We can use this instrument, this measurement of stewardship to tell whether or not we are trustworthy in the eyes of God. And so I want to spend a few minutes this morning speaking to us about the issue of stewardship in our lives. Now, I, and so as we prepare, I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 with me this morning. Luke chapter 19, if you use one of our pew Bibles, you're going to find our text on page 890. This is one of the parables of Jesus. Now, I always like to do a little bit of a disclaimer as we kind of move in to the issue of talking about money. I'm not apologizing that we're talking about the issue of money and the role of money in our lives and how that all fits in spiritually. But, you know, the, we, we always have folks, this might be their very first time with us, and they walk in and say, well, you know, boy, this church, all they talk about is money. Well, we, we haven't talked about the issue of money in months, if not in over a year at Hope Chapel. Secondly, I want you to know that how are you to respond to this isn't going to affect my pay, all right? Uh, you know, the, the, I don't get a percentage of the giving, you know. And so the more it goes up, the more I get Vice versa, it doesn't work that way. And right now we're financially healthy a little bit behind budget, but we're financially healthy. You know, we're, we're hanging in there. So none of that kind of stuff is just hanging in Just the issue of dealing with the issue of money. And sometimes we have this impression that, well, isn't it really kind of beneath the church, beneath us spiritually to be talking about money? It's an awful worldly thing. Why aren't we talking about prayer and love and heaven and all these overarching things? And what's really quite interesting is that the Bible talks about money a lot more than we think. In fact, let me, let me give you a, just a a few statistics out of the Scriptures. You know, the Bible has about 500 passages that deal with the issue of prayer, about 500. The Bible has less than 500 passages that actually speak directly about faith. It has over 2,000 passages that speak about money because money is a, a major snare for us spiritually, and it is one of the weapons, I think, that our adversary uses against us to get us derailed. In fact, we're going to look at a parable of Jesus today in Luke chapter 19, verses 11 forward. Jesus told 38 parables that are recorded for us in the Scriptures. 16 of them had to do with money. That's 42%. 42% of his parables, he used the issue of money in people's lives to speak to spiritual principles. So this this is an area that's important for us, and it's something that God wants to speak to us about. So I want to read this passage for us and then just present some, some truth to us about this issue, I think, that flow from this passage. So as they were listening to this, verse 11, Luke chapter 19, verse 11, as they were listening to this, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they thought the kingdom of God was going to appear right away. So they're moving towards Jerusalem, where they thought everything was going to consummate, if you will, that Jesus was going to come into his kingdom, into his role as as the earthly king, and that the kingdom of God was going to be inaugurated. So he said, you know, let's use this as a learning opportunity. Let's talk about what it means, what it takes to live in the kingdom of God. So he told them a parable. It says a nobleman traveled to a far country to receive for himself authority to be king and then return. That's actually something that had happened in the Jewish um, state Herod had traveled to Rome to be anointed if you will as a king and he came back to take control over the area of Palestine so as this nobleman travels he says he called ten of his slaves or servants and gave them ten minas and told them engage in business until I come back now a minor uh, a single minor was worth about a hundred days wages okay it's like you know so you work you know, uh, 20 days a week, you know, five days a week for four weeks. It's about five months' wages. So in our, our thing, somebody's working about, making about $30 an hour. Some of you would love to be making that. Some of you, you know, you're making $300 an hour. You know, it's, it's all over. But you making $30. He, he gave them each about $25,000 and said, do something with this. Okay? So a good chunk of change. He says, go and engage in business until I come back. But But his subjects hated him. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. At his return, having received the authority to be king, he summoned those slaves he had given money to so he could find out about how, they, how much they had made in business. So the first came in and said, Master, your mina has earned 10 more minas. I would love for this guy to be my investment counselor, wouldn't you? You know, he, he, 10 times he made back on that. So he said, well done, good slave, he told him, because you've been faithful in a very small matter. Have authority over 10 towns. Just go over there and take over this county, and you can run it. It can be yours. And the second came and said, Master, your miner has made five miners. I wouldn't mind having that guy as my investment counselor. So he said to him, you will be over five towns. And another came and said, Master, here's your miner." I have kept it hidden away in a cloth because I was afraid of you. For you're a tough man. You collect what you didn't deposit, and you reap what you didn't sow. So he says to him, I I will judge you by what you have said, you evil slave. If you knew I was a tough man, collecting what I didn't deposit and reaping what I didn't sow, why didn't you at least put my money in the bank? And when I returned, I could have collected it with interest. So because he had done nothing... He says to him, so he said to those standing there, take the miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten. But they, but they said to him, Master, he has ten miners already. He says, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. And from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. But bring here these enemies of mine who do not want me to rule over them and slaughter them in my presence. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Jesus could tell good stories, couldn't he? He, he? he could have made a fortune writing children's books, you know, in today's world, right? Just can tell great stories. Let's, let's unpack this a little bit. The nobleman here is Jesus. And this is the picture of Jesus living out his life, dying on a cross, being buried, being resurrected, then ascending to heaven, and then as he, and then he'll come in the second coming to receive all that is his. So this is a picture of, of G- Jesus as the nobleman in this case. The servants, then, are those of us who have signed up to be followers of Jesus Christ. We're the ones who, these are the ones who have believed that Jesus is the sole source of our salvation. He's the only place where we can find forgiveness before God. And we have trusted in him for forgiveness and for our salvations. And we have committed our lives to live for Christ. Those are the servants, the slaves, the the citizens here, the subjects, if you will, are those who don't want God to to have the place that God should have in their lives. And there's a very harsh word for them at the end. It says, "Bring them in and and into my presence and just slaughter them." Th- there's a there's a sense here in which you know this is a warning to Jesus. It's vivid vivid imagery, but the, the scripture is very clear. It says those who have not believed in Jesus as the Son of God have been condemned already. They've been judged already. God is simply going to honor their choice. You don't want me in your life? You will not, I, you will not be in my presence for eternity. You're going to go to a place where everything that is a part of the goodness of God is going to be absent. And so all that's going to be left is places of turmoil and pain and struggle and difficulty. But there's a word in here for us about stewardship. You know, because the truth of the matter is, God has given each one of us an opportunity to make a difference for him. The, the bottom line is, is that God wants to use us to use everything that's in our lives, our, our capabilities, our opportunities, our relationships, our time, and our money to improve the kingdom's bottom line. That's, the, that, that's what this passage is about. God invests in us an opportunity to make a difference for him towards the kingdom's bottom line. And I'm not talking about its financial balance sheet. I'm talking about transforming the world with the love of Christ. But a part of that is the way we use our money. It's being a steward. And I just want to point out some truths to you that just I think just flow out of this passage and, and lots of other scriptures just kind of flow into it for us. And so let me just kind of run through this. The, the first thing I think that you and I need to appreciate from this passage is that we have to be courageous enough to tackle the issue of our finances. You know, we, many of us, we, we, we just live in a place where we think, you know what, there, there's nothing I can do. The, the problem with my finances isn't how I spend it, it's how much that's coming in, Right? It's it's not the spending side, it's the income side. You know, that's that's where my problem is. Or we have this sense that we're just held hostage. You know, my, my rent is what it is. My insurance is what it is. My car, and we just feel like we have no options. And so it's like one of these things we just feel totally overwhelmed, so we, we don't even step up to the plate and think about it and ask ourselves the question, what does God have to say and what does God want me to do about the way that I handle my resources. We just kind of say, well you know that doesn't really apply to me. The person who won the lottery <laughs> recently in Sterling this is a great question for them but for me I, you know the month ends the money ends before the month ends you know and so there's just nothing I can do about that. <clears throat> we have to understand that God wants us to step up to the plate and do what we can with what He's given us. And we have to be courageous enough to confront the issue of our finances. I've quoted a couple of, of scriptures for you here from Ecclesiastes and from Philippians. You know, part of that is, is where we are spiritually right now, it's a God-given—financially, it's, it's a God-given thing. Some of you are, are, are you know, you, you're certainly in, in upper middle class, and you're doing well, and there's more than enough to make the ends meet. That's, that's a prosperity that God's given you. It says, enjoy prosperity while you can— But when a hard time strikes, some of you will live in there. Some of you will live in a place where the hard times have struck, okay? You've got to realize that both of those, it says, come from God. Remember that nothing in life is certain but God. So what he's saying is that whether you have a lot or whether you have little, it's your God-given situation, and you still have to come before God and figure out how am I going to use the minor that God has given me. And you have to be courageous enough to, to take it on. I think most of us, we don't really like to think about our finances and think about the way we handle our... Med- but it, it can be a place where we learn tremendous lessons. Look, I've quoted you there a passage from Philippians 4 where, you know, Paul says, you know what, God's taught me to be content when I have a lot, and God's taught me to be content when I don't know where the next meal's coming from. I, I, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, and, and, and God can teach us through those, and we have to be courageous enough to step up and deal with this issue in our lives. Secondly, I think we need to to embrace the idea. We just need to recognize that every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. You know, sometimes you think, okay, buying a new car that's a big thing. I, I should pray about that, you know. Some of you have heard of my story about when I was ready to get rid of our Ford Expedition. And, you know, we went out in a snowstorm to get it, some work done to it. and It was going to be a lot of money. We went directly to the Mercury dealer, right. You know, we took this Mercury Mountaineer for a ride. And it was great. A DVD player and all this great stuff. And, you know, it was a used car, but it was a good deal. All that kind of stuff. We were literally sitting at the table ready to sign, right. And my wife said, have we prayed about this? I said, man. We had that car for another year, the the expedition. We didn't buy the, you know. But sometimes we we can look at that side of things, right? You know, but i got to tell you, how often you take your lunch to work instead of going out to lunch is a spiritual decision. Whether you just get the basic package or the expanded package on your cable, it's a spiritual decision. Every spending decision is a spiritual decision. It, and it takes act, to, to to take no action is in a way to take action. As you look at this one who said, "You know what? I knew you were hard. I was afraid of you, so I just took your money. And I buried it, so I couldn't lose it." To take no action is to take an action. Every spiritual, every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Now, we have some folks <clears throat> in our church who, who are really good at this kind of stuff, and and I I don't I'm not going to. Pr- 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 Present myself as a financial counselor to you because that 's just not my role and, and and really in many ways not my gift in this, but just a couple of words here about how do you how do you really kind of work the spiritual aspect of our spending first of all, you, you need to prioritize your needs and goals you, you just need to prioritize your needs and goals and, and some of it is the difference of knowing what 's the difference between what I need and between what I want you know for some of us that's that 's a real blurry line isn 't it you know, I got. We're we're gonna get a new car from my parents this week, a n- used car. They're downsizing, and so I'm taking one of their cars off of their hands, and we'll be closing on the loan on Monday morning. And it, it's gonna be a whole lot different than the 2000 Camry that my sons have been driving for the last eight years, and which makes a lot of noise and rattles a lot. Not everything works, and it's got a lot of dents. A lot. But you know what? Those four wheels will get you there most of the time, like the other four wheels I'm gonna get. You know. It, uh, there's a difference between needs and wants, right? But we, we need to prioritize what our needs and our goals are. Secondly, you've got to just prepare a plan. You've got to have some kind of a plan. Look what Proverbs says. You know, the, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. And then lastly, you have to be disciplined. You know, if you have a plan and you don't follow it, all you've got is a wasted sheet of paper. You've got to be disciplined. So, we got to recognize that every spending decision is a spiritual decision. Third thing I want you to see from this text, and, and, and this is probably where the meat is that I really want you to, to, to see. A part, of, a part of being faithful in giving is, is it because the way we use our finances, God uses to prepare us for greater spiritual things. Now let that sink in for a minute. You know, wh- what happens? You, you got a guy who's got ten minors, One, they all get one minor, right? One guy goes out and, and he makes ten with it. You know, he, a thousand percent return or whatever that is. I mean, just incredible response, right? And what does God do? He says, you know what? You showed yourself to be faithful in that. I'm going to give you a lot more responsibility. The, the way we handle money in our lives prepares us. Or readies us for God to shed greater spiritual opportunity through our lives. God, we got five. He got, he got five cities to be ruled. So you get that, the way you and I manage the stuff that God has given into our lives has a huge impact on how much of God we're going to really experience and how much of God we're really, how much God is really going to use us in our lives. And, and to me, this is one of the silent killers. in our our churches today. There are a lot of folks who, who, you know, they they come, they hear messages, they're in life groups, they hear these truths, and they they just feel like they've hit this ceiling spiritually. They just can't get past. You know, it's like they hit this glass ceiling, and they don't understand why their their experience, their, their transformation in the hands of God just isn't going anywhere. And some of it is because it comes right back down to this. They're just not being faithful with the stuff that God's given them. And, and you know god said you know i, I i'm going to take it away from you and i'm going to give it to somebody else who's being more faithful with the stuff i've given them it, it's how we manage our stuff actually god uses it to prepare us to be useful in his hands and and to me this is i got to tell you you know this is let me tell you this is what neil thinks not what god said but but i feel very strongly about this i mean we have a lot of issues in the American church that, that just suck the spiritual power right out of it. Certainly biblical illiteracy is a part of that. People, people they come to church, but they just don't know the Bible. They just don't know the Word of God. That's certainly an issue. Uh, we have a lot of what I would call theological ignorance. People believe in God, but they don't know what they believe about God. That's a problem. But i got to tell you one of the reasons why I think the American church has really lost its ability to to impact our nation is because we're bad stewards. And God's just saying, I'm not going to use you anymore. And and he's he's just not entrusting that kind of impact to us. You know, when the average evangelical gives under 3% of their income, I mean, we tip waiters more than that, right? But when we give less than 3% of our income to kingdom work, and then we say, well, why isn't God changing our nation through us? You can just come right back to this story and says, you know, take that away from that and give it to them. This is the place where God readies us, and, and folks, that applies to me as much as it does to you. I, I'm not pointing the finger at you and saying I, I'm, you know, I'm absolving. It. This applies to me as well. It applies to all of us, and and it's a t- You know, Jesus said, if you're going to live readying yourself for the kingdom, you've got to be understand that everything about your life is serving as an agent of what God's trying to do in the world, including the way that you use your income. You see this passage from Deuteronomy says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your life. The last thing is, is we, we just need to check our attitude. You know, we're, we're kind of having this chat. We just need to check our attitude towards stuff. And, and I, I want to kind of, Tell you, I, th- I think your attitude is going to wo- lie in one of three places, and I'm going to back up and and refer to a story that's in Luke chapter ten, but I'm not going to read it for you. Many of you know it's the story of the Good Samaritan, right? You got a guy who's traveling from Jericho up to Jerusalem, or and 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 he gets he gets attacked and left by the side of the road by robbers, and then a priest, and then a Levite, and then eventually a Samaritan who were. Considered to be the enemies, the, they were despised by the Jews. They come by, this guy. The first guy, the priest, he comes by, he looks at him, he gets to the other side of the road and he keeps moving. The Levite, again, another religious person, comes by, moves to the other side of the road, keeps going. The Samaritan gets there, sees this guy in need, he comes to his side, he treats his wounds, he takes him to a place where he can heal, he pays his bill, and he signs a note saying, I'll take care of any other expenses that he has. And Jesus asks then, who is the neighbor? And he says, certainly it's it's the Samaritan." And Jesus tells people to go and do likewise. I want to tell you, I think, that we can see in that story one of the prevailing, the prevailing attitudes that we probably have in our hearts related to stuff. One of those is what flows out of the robbers. What you have, I want. How many of you wouldn't have loved to have that winning lottery ticket, right, from here in Sterling? sign me up. I would have been, But sometimes we, we, we get looking around so much and we see what other people have and, and it becomes a fixation for us. We, we can't live without, we can't be happy without having what they have. We, we, we want what they have. Another attitude is, what's mine is mine. <laughs> you know, the Levite and the priest, the money in my pocket, it's mine. My time My fitness to be able to serve God, it's mine, and they're traveling to the other side of the road and let somebody else take care of it. And some of us have this attitude that it's mine, it's mine. And I will say this it is your responsibility, but that doesn't mean it's yours. That's something that we need to learn. Lastly, you have the attitude of the Good Samaritan what I have, I'll use. What I have, I'll use. For God. So he breaks off his trip and he gets down on his knees and he tends to the wounds and he cleans them up and he and he anoints the, the wounds with oil and with, with wine to to clean disinfect them and he puts them on his own donkey and he walks instead of you know and letting the guy ride and takes him to a place. Put, what he has, he's gonna use to be a blessing to others. You know, we need to check our attitude. Is it what they have I want? Is it what's mine is mine, and nobody else can have it, and I'll use it the way I want to use it? Or is it what I have I'll use for God? Just a closing thought. You know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So just, just think of your, your heart, if you will, being in the middle. And on one end you have a magnet that's pulling you towards, let me just use the word earthly treasure and on the other end, you have a magnet that's pulling you towards spiritual treasure. Which way is your heart moving right now? Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Which way you're being drawn? You see, God, God wants the. And I've quoted this verse several times. He his eyes are moving to and fro throughout the earth, to find a heart that's completely his, that he can strongly support it. Let me, let me use it. God's got his eyes looking to and fro throughout the earth to find folks that he can trust, so that he can use them in a powerful way. Let's just pray that we're those people who God can trust. Let's pray together. Got a tough word this morning. Maybe not one of those ones that makes us walk out of here with with all these good, warm, fuzzy feelings. But God, sometimes the truth is the thing that really sets us free. So Father, as we take this word today, and we walk out the door, just, just give us the wisdom to allow you to keep speaking to us so that we can Directly confront that question of whether or not you can really trust us. And as we look at the attitude in our hearts, we can say, yeah, you can. You can. Guys, you know, embedded in all of this is this tremendous privilege that we can experience, that we can be the instruments that you use to change the world. Let that notion Captivate our hearts and minds as we trust in Christ, our Savior and our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our worship team to come. They're going to lead us in our closing song. As they stand, uh, as, as we begin to sing, I invite our ushers to come forward and to receive our offering. So Let's stand and sing to the Lord this morning as we conclude our service. Thank you.